Welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Tim Rudolfi, CEO of Metami Health. Metami is now in the process of commercializing Regulora, a new digital therapeutic to treat abdominal pain associated with IBS. And in his own words, gut-directed hypnotherapy has been shown to produce positive outcomes for those living with IBS, but has previously been inconvenient for many patients, as it has required in-person visits with trained therapists. Today, we take a quick pause with interviewing other entrepreneurs and switch gears to get into a head of one of the investors in the industry, Justin Norton, partner at GSR Ventures. But before we dive in, I virtually met Justin only last year. Since then, we had a number of Zoom calls and had a pleasure of spending some time with him in Chicago late last year. Every conversation with Justin is an intellectual stimulation as he is a deep thinker with a pragmatic approach to investments and company operations. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Justin. Justin, welcome to the DTX podcast. For all of our listeners, would love to get to know you, your background, what led you to become a VC. And I will remind you one more time because many guests forget. We're also looking for one interesting fact for the audience about you. Sounds good. Eugene, thanks so much for inviting me. So happy to be here. So please correct me if I leave anything out here. For everyone else, I'm Justin Norton. I'm a partner at GSR Ventures, where we focus on healthcare technology investing. We lead seed through Series B investments in digital health. But to your question on my background, I'm a physician by training and computer scientist by training. And with those two backgrounds, I actually trained as a computer science first. And so going through medical training with a background in computer science is constantly like banging your head against the wall. Why can't we do this better? Why can't we automate this why can't we make things better for patients and physicians and everyone involved? You know, that led me to a few clinical detours, took some time out of clinical training, helped launch our Center for Digital Health at Stanford. I was evaluating technologies, doing some of our first telemedicine visits out of Epic with Stanford Clickwell Care. Ended up going to Apple on the healthcare team, launching some of our women's health features. Ended up starting a couple companies of my own around algorithm safety and trust, both in and outside of healthcare. Ended up selling that company to Waymo, Google's self-driving car company, and then joined here at GSR Ventures a little over three years ago now, where met a team of physicians, former technology executives, former founders who shared a vision that we can really improve healthcare through technology. It wasn't going to be easy, but that we had this vision where we could really make things better. And so that's how I ended up here at GSR Ventures. Interesting note about me is I've actually played Ultimate Frisbee professionally and internationally, so I have a few world championships under the belt. Not the sport with dogs. We do play just against other people, but we'll take all the jokes because I'm an Ultimate Frisbee player. The fun part, I don't think anybody has heard this before. I joined for like a split moment, a, a Frisbee team in Bronx Science. So before we moved from New York to New Jersey, as I was younger going into high school, I went to Bronx Science for just a year. It's a new fact for others as well. Ultimate Frisbee is ultimate. That was the birthplace of the sport. Oh, I did not know that. You were there at Ground Zero. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. You learn something new every day. Fantastic. Given your background, and I think that intersection of technology and humans, maybe you can talk a little bit more about first higher level thesis at GSR Ventures. We have a lot of entrepreneurs and other VCs and many others listening to this podcast. So we'd love to understand your high level thesis at GSR, and then we'll dive deeper into the digital therapeutics specifically. 
Absolutely. So fundamentally at GSR Ventures, we're trying to invest in transformative companies using new technologies, modalities, data to fundamentally change how we're delivering care or making that care possible. A lot of things when you hear about innovation in healthcare, you work in a hospital setting, you work in an academic medical center, you talk about QI, how do we get two, five, 10% improvements in the care setting, make things a little bit faster, a little bit better. Fundamentally to us, that's not exciting. We want to see the things where how can we use technology to fundamentally change how we're delivering care, making it more efficient, making it more cost effective to deliver two, three, 10, if not 100x improvements over the status quo. There's all sorts of technologies and we're happy to go into them. Obviously, digital therapeutics being one of them. But the fundamental idea around that where it fits in our thesis is, can we use software to fundamentally deliver care. Take mental health, for example. There's a shortage of therapists. There's increasing demand. Obviously, we've seen this all play out in COVID. So fundamentally, we're just increasing the number, trying to increase the training number of therapists isn't going to work. Can we use software to fundamentally deliver care, deliver evidence-based treatments that scales like software, where the marginal cost is next to zero to deliver one more treatment? And so I think that's an example of how the digital therapeutics thesis plays into the broader thesis of what we want to do in healthcare. You have a number of portfolio companies, interestingly enough, focused on, yes, digital therapies, but in the virtual reality world. Maybe you can talk a little bit what you like specifically about Limbics and Applied VR and any other portfolio companies that could be interesting to talk about in the digital therapeutics space. Absolutely. I think we have Limbics, Applied VR health rhythms, actually also very much in the digital therapeutic space, all taking slightly different approaches for how they both want to deliver evidence-based treatment, the business model behind that. Happy to maybe go through each briefly, and then we can dive deeper later. Limbics, I think, I'd be happy to start with them. Building digital therapeutics for adolescent mental health, really focused on depression initially, and really building the only true digital therapeutics evidence-based treatment so far in the space. They're currently able to prescribe under discretionary enforcement and given the crisis in COVID, and there's no good solutions now for adolescent mental health. And so there's a you know, huge shortage of providers. People are in wait lists for months and months, unable to reach care. And fundamentally, that was a big part of the reason why we invested in Limbics a couple of years ago. The second part of that, obviously, digital therapeutics is attractive. But as you mentioned, there's a number of different business models and ways people are thinking about going to market. Do you want to be purely a drug company delivering therapy? How do you want to partner with payers, health systems, et cetera, to kind of get your reach? And that was one thing that excited us about the Limbics team. They had the FDA regulatory background, people who worked at the FDA delivered products to the market. So they, we had confidence they could navigate that side of the process. But they also came from a true technology background, technology entrepreneurship background. So Ben, one of the founders of Limbics, scaled a number of companies, sold them for hundreds of millions of dollars on the, on the gaming side, on the internet side. And had this belief that, hey, we can scale software, evidence-based software in that similar way. And so it's really this combination of both the regulated FDA approach, we can navigate this from a mental health perspective, and we can think about scaling this in a way where we really can reach all the patients who need this and who benefit from a software like this. And so it was that combination that got us excited about the team. Blank space, no good treatments in the market where they could really kind of run after things like that. Just wanted to dissect maybe one level below or just maybe a quick comment on this. We're obviously seeing teams come together with a clinical background and tech background, even though we've been talking about this for decades. 
it's actually starting to happen in digital therapeutic companies. So it's good to hear that you echoing from at least Limbic's perspective, but many other of the digital therapeutic companies, these skill sets are coming together. This is part of the reason why I think some of the life sciences pharmaceutical companies have struggled to bring things to market themselves. Lots of clinical molecular knowledge, but a somewhat lack of the tech. But yeah, let's dive into Applied VR. I know their model has pivoted and changed a bit over the years, but would love to hear your thesis and the decision-making process there as well. Yeah, 100% agree on that team approach and thesis, especially some of these bigger companies. They cannot hire the true technical talent. They maybe don't value it. They won't pay for it. And so, you know, won't understand, won't have those best practices for how to build software and get it out to scale. And so I think that's why we're actually seeing a lot of partnerships between pharma and these digital therapeutics companies because they know they're not going to hire the talent in-house. And so they might as well partner to get the technologies and get the insights that they know is coming down the line as their own business models will start to change with regulatory and other pressures. Jumping into applied VR, some similar notes you'll see, again, really taking evidence as a front line for what they're doing. There's been a lot of different approaches to building evidence in digital health applied VR. We spend a lot of time talking with the team, speaking with the clinical team, looking at the data, looking at the papers, and they clearly made this a priority to say, look, we're working in chronic low back pain, a notoriously difficult area to treat fibromyalgia, et cetera. And we want to make sure this works. We want to convince doctors this works because versus other companies, we're going to be as prescription as we go in terms of our model in terms of winning over the doctors, winning over the clinics and getting those prescriptions written. And so that was to us something really impressive about the applied VR team. Matthew and Josh got the team they built and put together around this. And they're delivering a treatment that works. They're also facing a crisis. Our opioid crisis has only been getting worse. There truly are not good options to deal with chronic pain. As a physician, dealing with these patients is really tough. It's tough on everyone's side because the patients are in pain and we're not giving them good solutions. So Applied VR had a true evidence-based approach, a team who wanted to take this through, had the background to really scale it. And so that got us really excited about the Applied VR investment. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Justin. So my question for you is, virtual reality digital therapies are starting to show evidence of clinical efficacy, right? Or hopefully you agree. How do you think about this in different settings? So whether it's in hospital, in an outpatient clinic, or at home, and have you any perspectives on the accessibility of these products as well, especially given the involvement of a hardware component and so on? Thanks so much for that question, Chandana. Absolutely agree with you. Evidence is not created equal. And we're seeing evidence in a hospital versus clinic versus at home. They mean different things. How was the study done? What does this mean for future commercialization? What does this mean for future patient adoption? And so you have to pick your battles. I think obviously how the study is designed, is it a true RCT? Do we have partners we know and trust running it like an AMC? And that's very important. But at the same time, having someone come into a hospital setting, put on a VR headset under an observed environment is completely different than in the real world. All what we hope is a physician writes a prescription and sends it home. And can someone navigate the headset, put it on? Are they actually using it? Do you see them engage with? And so one of the things we've seen time and again is the clinical trial engagement is actually much higher 
than the prescriptions in the real world through either a pilot program or different settings like this. And so as close as we can get to a clinical trial that mimics that, I think the better we are. Because at home is where the potential is for digital therapeutics. It's not going to be, yes, there's some kind of in-betweens where maybe you use a headset or you use something else in a hospital, in a clinic where you come in and maybe there's different billion reasons and other ways to do that. But fundamentally to me, that would be more of an incremental step. And the true potential is, can you get a VR headset in someone's home? Can you build a platform that's allowing not only one therapy, but potential multiple therapies that can be at home on someone's headset? And as we see evidence come out, once we get the different types of trials, once we get kind of the HUR trials, kind of real world evidence in these VR digital therapeutics, I think that's what's going to be really exciting to both ourselves and I think potentially the payers getting through the reimbursement, which has just been the biggest challenge, I would say, for the entire industry. Yeah, and I'm going to hop in here. Obviously, you can expand the indications, especially, I guess, in the virtual reality space. I'm actually curious because in the life sciences world, indications and new to therapy are the key components that life sciences companies are tracking. How do you look at the digital therapeutic biotech-like pipeline approach? So take a paratherapeutic or any others that are sort of adding on or a drug plus go-to-market strategy. How do you weigh those two when you're making your decisions? How are you looking at that market, Justin? would be curious to compare and contrast. I wish I had the answer for you, Eugene, which is going to be the winner. You know, I think they really are different approaches, and I think there are merits to both. In terms of full drug pipeline, obviously, this is an exciting approach. This is, as you mentioned, maybe the traditional drug company approach. We have the pipeline. We have the evidence generation machine. Now let's put more indications and in farther into space. I think where that has hung up some and Obviously, we can all look at everyone in the field is looking at pair, looking at the quarterly results, seeing how things are happening. I think the challenge there on the pure pipeline approach and the digital therapeutic side is the reimbursement has not matched the drug company expectations. I think if you looked at the average reimbursement right now for some pair drugs, they were getting $1,400, $1,500 per prescription. This is not where a drug company, where a new pipeline might be in the 20000 plus range, right? Depending on, on what you're going after. And so I think that's been the one real challenge from the pure pipeline approach is how are we going to get reimbursement to a level that's exciting? So flip that over to the other side, you know, what we're seeing around partnerships and around, hey, can we build a digital companion therapeutic that's extending patent life on a drug that's out in market, that's increasing engagement, increasing adoption, increasing utilization. This is a very tried and true standard way where Pharma is probably the most rational actor across healthcare technology for paying for technology and paying for things that work or paying for the potential that things will work in this way. And so I think that's why we've seen some really exciting partnerships from pharma around kind of expanding indications, expanding utilization, expanding engagement with existing drugs. So, you know, companies like Sidekick done a really good job of this, of kind of proving this out over years and years of showing that with a digital companion app, you really can increase utilization like this. My personal thesis is you need to figure out how you're going to be engaging patients. I think the pure play, just prescribing, just hoping physicians will adopt, we're not going to see those margins that we were hoping to see in biotech. A few years ago, I think maybe that was some of the hope that we'll see some of those drug-like prices from products like this especially as there are more companies in the market. Yes, I think it is helpful to get out there first. Yes, it is helpful to get mindshare from physicians that will be built up over time under certain products. 
But I think figuring out that engagement, kind of figuring out how we're going to reach patients in a stickier way, reach those providers, reach those hospital systems in a stickier way, building those bridges is where the digital therapeutics companies succeed in ways that drug companies historically haven't. Whereas we're not going to be able to have those same drug type margins, but we can have engagement in a way that's completely new. We can have understanding of our patients in a way that's completely new. And so I think the digital therapeutics companies that are succeed that we're going to talk about in five or 10 years are going to figure out that engagement piece. I loved your initial answers that you wish you had the right answer. I haven't hosted probably now close to 30 episodes in the digital therapeutics space. I get asked similar question. Is it standalone? Is it towards employers? Is it prescription? And my answer is yes, yes, and yes. It depends on your product hypothesis, the market fit, the team, the USP, and have you proven out? And to your point, this is a great example of Sidekick. And even last season, two similar-ish technologies going to very different routes, one to employer, one a prescription route. Echo that, and I agree it's the DNA of the team and the initial hypothesis and the product expertise. You brought up, let's call it revenues and growing into the revenues and some expectations it's a good time. And you even brought up Pair, which I think many of the digital health companies or digital therapeutic companies that have gone public, whether directors through SPAC, have not performed well. Having said that, there's a larger market shift that's happening. Maybe you can talk about, let's call it pre-public. What are you seeing specifically in digital therapeutic valuations and how are you guys at GSR are looking at the market and what's happening in the market now? Absolutely. And yeah, I think happy to spend more time on the private side. You know, we can all see and are following what's happening on the public side. On the private side, and it's not just in digital therapeutics, but digital health, technology in general, valuations have come down significantly, especially at the later growth stages. Previously, lots of companies, especially at the in 2021 throughout the entire year, raised at pretty amazing valuation from a multiple perspective on revenue, where this potential people were paying more, people were quite excited. Fast forward to today, all of a sudden, when the public market multiples are so different from what was just being paid, these companies are really starting to change and think, okay, how do we grow into these valuations? How do we change our burn? How do we change our structure so we can start to match a little bit closer to what that public market is paying? So for the later stage digital therapeutics companies, I think this is a big challenge. I think there was, across the board, capital is more expensive now. And so the idea that you can just wait years and years and years before you can show those revenues has shifted. People are looking for, okay, what is a little bit shorter term ROI? What is the understanding of where we can get to in this round? How can we start to be profitable, show revenues? Whereas I think previously, entrepreneurs were able to pitch a much longer version, a much longer story and kind of get people excited about where they're going. And so I think, especially for the later stage companies, call it series B or afterwards, there's a lot more shorter term pressures about where people are looking. In terms of the earlier stage side, I think things are still largely okay. Yes, valuations have come down. Previously, we were seeing valuations where people were raising $10 million on a pitch deck. Those days, I think for the most part are gone. And that was a bit of a blip that maybe never should have existed. Fine. But people are able to raise normal seed rounds just fine. Not 2021 valuations, but 2020 and before, where people have capital, people are still excited about where things are going. People, I think, are still excited about digital therapeutics and that potential. Although I think there is a little bit more pressure now for companies in the digital therapeutic space to say, no, really, how are you going to monetize? What is your strategy? I think especially because everyone is looking at Pair, is looking at what's happening with Pair, looking at the burn, 
obviously it has all those SPACs and SPACs are down quite a bit. But I think there's a little bit more of a recognition that, hey, we can't just sell this promise of someone will pay for this and how. We have at least more pressure at GSR to say, how are you going to commercialize? What does this mean? Who are you going to go after? How are you really going to engage and not just hope doctors will prescribe this spinning up the marketing machine? And so I think there's a little bit more pressure on, okay, but what is the business model? How do you build partnerships beyond just trying to take something through the FDA? And do you have the expertise around the team? My only comment to all of this, and I guess a little bit of my fear, to develop a prescription digital therapeutic and all the R&D that's required and involved, and especially in kind of new modalities, just wondering if under these market conditions, investors will start looking and saying, why don't you take the employer or even B2C route to get the data, to get it validated before you even think about sitting in R&D for the next six years? So that's my only sort of concern, especially for the prescription digital therapeutic market. Any comments or thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think from the get-go saying, okay, we're going to start from scratch and wait six years to get our therapeutic out to market. Unless I was missing something at blank, if you came to me with a company like that today, I'd probably say, no, it doesn't make sense. It's too capital. It's too expensive for an unclear payout. And I think that's the key part. There's a few digital therapeutics who are doing things fundamentally different from a modality perspective where we're really able to treat something in a different way. But from, let's say we're going to take some engagement general application and then try to say we're going to take it six years through this and then get someone to pay for this without a clear plan, the answer would be no today. And I'm okay with that, actually. There should be more near-term timeline for some of these things. And I think that's the point of the digital therapeutics is you can prove and you can prove through employers, through D2C components, shorter-term timelines to get through, not a traditional drug market. So I'm okay with that being gone in today's market. So you have also a clinical background. And I think, and as we start talking about prescription digital therapeutics specifically, the industry have been talking about the adoption. And this is adoption by the doctors themselves to trust the evidence. It's the workflows around actually prescribing that digital therapeutic. And then further along and in the front lines are the pharmacists that also needs to understand what it is and what's the dosage. And we had some of that earlier in the season. Your thoughts on what it would take at this point to scale some of the digital therapies that are prescription-specific, PDTs? Yeah, so I think a few things. Dealing with physicians is difficult. Physicians are a pain. They're slow to change their ways. They're skeptical by nature on evidence that's being presented to them. In general, most don't want to be the first movers and are too busy to really evaluate things that are completely different. So with all that said, how can digital therapeutics actually get in and get the attention span of physicians? It's by delivering something that really is performing, has high level of evidence, and is something that they have an absolutely burning need for. That's why I think why we're excited about companies like Limbix and Applied VR is the markets they're going after are in true crisis. These are crises that are even getting mentioned by Joe Biden in the State of the Union on opiates, on adolescent mental health. And when these physicians who want to do well but are overwhelmed can say, hey, here's another option. Instead of sending a patient to a wait list who's depressed, who's suicidal, who doesn't have any options for their care, here's a digital option that we know works and has evidence. I can see my colleagues have had success with, I can see the evidence works, and I can start to see my patients getting better. From the no treatment, no options that they have, we're going to start to see adoption. 
And when Limbix talks to health systems and they say, yeah, we have a wait list for six months, let's figure out a way to get this through. Let's figure out a way to get this to our patients. And so I think that's where we're starting to see hold of people breaking through. And I think similar things for opiates on that side. I think where it's more challenging is where there are good options. There are good alternatives where digital therapeutics are trying to be one more in a number of options that are available. I think that's where digital therapeutics are going to struggle. Hey, is a digital option versus a drug that we actually know really works. We really know it works. It can treat the patients. It's effective. We've used it for years. Okay, your digital therapeutic is maybe as good or close to as good, maybe with a better side effect profile, but I don't know. I have this other option. And so that's where I think digital therapeutics are going to struggle much more to capture the attention, to capture the excitement of physicians, pharmacists, and otherwise. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Justin Norton, partner at GSR Ventures. So I'm going to get to more of a selfish question. We talked about doctors, nurses, and pharmacists. You're thinking what you've seen in the marketplace. We recognize and always say here at your coach that human eye is still better than AI in many cases and that level of empathy. And we also know there's a shortage of doctors and nurses, et cetera. What are you seeing in the marketplace and the role of health coaches surrounding digital therapies? In so many places, Eugene, and I'll give you credit for thinking about this, but AI and healthcare is something as an academic and still dabble with roles in places at Stanford and we'll write a paper every now and then. But my personal opinion is we shouldn't be shooting for complete automation. We're not shooting for AI treating a patient completely because there are many, many benefits from keeping humans in the loop is how we talk it and being part of that care journey from both a motivational perspective, from a safety perspective, which is just such a big part of delivering healthcare and from a trust perspective. And so I think coaches have played a big role in this in the evolution of digital health companies in general and will play an important role for digital therapeutics as well. This goes back a little bit to what we talked about before about the difference between the clinical trial data and what we're seeing in the real world. In the clinical trial world, you have these check-ins. And it's not necessarily from your physician, but it's from a trial coordinator and someone checking in, hey, have you used the app? How are things going? Can we answer any questions? And I think that's a role a coach can play. Can a coach bring the real-world evidence where a patient gets a prescription on its own up to the quality that we're seeing in the clinical trial that are showing real significant benefit with patients? I think so. And having just that subtle engagement reminders we're prescribing a prescription digital therapeutic and there's no engagement, we know it doesn't work. We know if there is engagement, we know that's where we're seeing the benefit across the board. And so coaches can play a huge role in digital therapeutics to make this happen. Now I want you to look at the crystal ball that you have in front of you and would love to get your thoughts on the drivers of success going forward for digital therapeutics as a market. And I know there's sub, right? We talked about the differences in channels and go-to-market strategies, but just as an overall in sub-industry, what are some of the drivers of success you see going forward? Sure. So I think I can try and hit on a few to come out. One is going to be true best-in-class evidence where the digital therapeutic is delivering a treatment that without a doubt works. It's not going to be marginal. It's going to be evidence that is both cost-effective from an HR perspective and is clinically effective. It's treating the indication. And it's going to be unquestionable for digital therapeutics companies that really break out and are successful. Two is going to be around engagement. They're going to prove they have engagements from the patients when they're actually using the digital therapeutic, as well as prove they're getting engagement from physicians, payers, 
hospital systems where it's sticky. People want them. People are coming back for more. It's going to be more than, hey, we're just writing a prescription. I think we're going to see partnerships that really expand in creative ways into all these companies and into these other players who want the digital therapeutic to be around in the market. Whether that's a true prescription version, whether it's a wellness product, whether there's different tiers, I think it's going to be these partnerships that extend into these companies. And then the last one, I think it's, again, really going to be around indications where we have no solution. We have no solution today in the healthcare system for this. And a digital first solution is going to be an answer that people can rally behind. So that would be my crystal ball predictions for where this goes. Love it. As we're nearing the end of the episode, would love for you to give some advice to entrepreneurs that are just getting on their journey of building out a digital therapeutic. I think given your predictions, we can probably predict your advice, but we'd love to hear it anyhow. Absolutely. Whether you're from healthcare or entering healthcare for the first time, I think what needs to be said again and again, and this is what I even teach in my class when I work with medical students and business school students at Stanford is your business model needs to be simple. It needs to be easy to explain and it needs to be very clear who is getting the value from the product you're building and who is paying for it. Often when we see these fuzzy business models, we're eventually going to save value in this way and capture some of the savings from this other party. Those are not the companies that scale quickly and are really changing what healthcare looks like. And so just pick and understand and make it crystal clear who pays you and why. And make sure you build and think about this from day one of building your business. Too often, I see someone who's come spending years building a product, building a medical device, building a therapy that might work, just spending zero time thinking about who and how is going to pay for it. And so that's my one advice as you're going to start on this journey is make sure you can answer these questions very clearly. You'll save yourself so much headache. Love it. We started with you and we're going to end this episode with you and would love to know what gets you up in the morning, Justin. What drives you? I think, Eugene, that this is why we have fun chatting and keep getting together at these things. But fundamentally, we are going to make healthcare better with technology. It is going to be a long journey. It's going to take a lot of time. But there is so much room for improvement. And I think we're here because we can see it. We can see how it happens. And yes, there are steps and roadblocks and things we have to run through together. But we can see how we're going to be able to scale healthcare in a way with technology that gets it to so many more people in need. So that's what's exciting about why I started medical training and why I ended up jumping to this new area is because I believe it. Glad to meet others like yourself who are trying to make this vision a reality. Justin, thank you very much for making the time. And for all of our listeners, please subscribe and share it out. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eugene. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.